Hello, and welcome to Bostonian Rap. My name is Rachel Meiselman, and you are listening to me on WBCA LP 102.9 FM Boston. This is Boston's community radio station. So before we jump into today's show, we're going to hear a quick disclaimer, and then we're going to come back. And we're just going to dive right on in. And as always, and I I know I always say this, but it really is the truth. There's never a dearth of of subjects to to discuss, to expound upon. I mean, there's just so much going on that demands attention. So uh, we're going to see how much we can cover in today's show. But first, that quick disclaimer. The following commentary does not necessarily reflect the views of the staff and management of WBCA or Boston Neighborhood Network. If you would like to express another opinion, you can address your comments to Boston Neighborhood Network, 3025 Washington Street, Boston, Massachusetts, 02119. To arrange a time for your own commentary, you can call WBCA at 617-708-3241. Or you can email radio at bnntv.org. Hello, and welcome back to Bostonian Rap. Again, my name is Rachel Meiselman, and you are listening to me on WBCALP 102.9 FM Boston. This is Boston's community radio station. So let's talk about the Boston City Council. The Boston City Council, I I feel like I'm belaboring uh, more than a few points, but that's okay. (laughs) That's okay, because I think the points that I keep on hitting are ones that need to be really discussed at length in a meaningful way. And I try to contribute to such a conversation. I don't want to just rant. I don't want to complain. I want... You know, I want to articulate what I think is wrong, put it out there, and then try to go about trying to find a solution. And and quite frankly, when it comes to, quite honestly, when it comes to a, a legislative body, you know, some kind of um, public office where the holders or the holder is is not performing. Well, then really the best solution is, you know, there there's every effort at accountability to hold the public servants and public servant accountable until there's another election. And I, I really, I really need people to come out and vote. That's one of the only things that I can urge people to do. But I, it's it's something that I, I want to do. It's something that I need to do. I feel compelled to do because Boston right now is in, in a very, it's in a very tough situation. It's it's in a very bad way, and I just we we need serious people. We need serious people. We need knowledgeable people. And at present, that's not what's on the Boston City Council. I said, I said, oh my goodness, it was sometime last year that if municipal elections were held 
today, tomorrow, the only at-large counselor that I could vote for is Michael Flaherty. Now, honestly, I really, I still feel that way. Uh, I might be open to voting for another counselor, but I'm just, I'm deeply unhappy with what I see. Now, of course, when I talk about the people whom I am satisfied, with whom I'm satisfied, that is not me telling you that you need to support that person too, not at all. I'm just, I'm giving my opinion and I like to explain why. And what I, I mean, the ideal, I mean, the reason why I've, I've done this show for all these years is because I like to invite conversation and I like to invite people to just have a think. And I want to present a perspective, a point of view that they might not necessarily get everywhere, every day. And that's, and that's really what it, it boils down to. But I want people to know that, you know, they're always free to think as they wish, as they will. And I also want people to understand that I'm not just going to say something. A lot of people say what is current. They have certain demographics in mind and they pursue those demographics. It could be a politician. A lot of times it is a politician. And a politician, you know, in my mind, doesn't necessarily have to be an actual office holder, a public office holder. It could be a staffer, I might even be able to extend, in some instances, the term politician to an activist, right? Um, Lobbyists uh, are politicians of sorts, and a lot of them actually used to hold public office, which, which enables them to then go on and become a lobbyist and be able to make a pretty packet or two, <laughs> But my my point is is that I am not giving any kind of directive, and you know, as I said, people are free to think as they wish, as they will, and I'm not going to ruthlessly pursue a demographic or another. When I speak, I mean, obviously, there are going to be some people that might find me more appealing. Uh, than others. I mean, hopefully there is someone who thinks I'm appealing. <laughs> it might be categorical. Mm, they don't like you. <laughs> it might be absolute universal. Certainly hope not. <laughs> but, you know, in, in principle, you know, just any average given person, when he or she speaks, there is, there is or there are going to be people that gravitate toward that speaker because what he or she is saying appeals to them. What he or she is saying resonates with them. So I'm no different. And I know that people who tend to be more conservative and people who generally are Republican might be more inclined to listen to me or like what I have to say, appreciate what I have to say. 
But please note that I'm not on here just to reach that demographic. I want to reach everybody. Uh, I appreciate that there's some people who might never try to entertain what I say, which is which is unfortunate because I think it's important to listen to people, even if you don't, you know, agree, even if you're not aligned with everything that they say, or even most of what they say, the, the point is, is, is you don't shut down because you don't like what someone is saying. You don't cut that person off. You don't block that person, whether it's literally or figuratively. I mean, as much as it can be literal. You don't close yourself off from different points of view. And the fact that that happens with such alarming frequency is really, it's quite disturbing. So, there's that. But but to get back to the point, I want to reach as many people as possible because it's about really contributing substantively, if I can, when I can, uh, to the marketplace of ideas. I But I, you know, having said all that, you know, I, there are some people whom I support. I'm not going to just say this is a person I support do expect me to explain why. And, and you know, I, I welcome any kind of feedback. I think that's important. Again, it's not about ranting or pontificating. If that's the case, <laughs> that's one way, and that's easy, right? But if, you, if you're looking to have some kind of dialogue, uh, it's important to expect some kind of pushback or feedback or retort, response, whatever. So to, to the particular point I made about counselors at large, the reason why I support Michael Flaherty is because he knows the city so well. He knows the city astoundingly well incredibly well and in a day and age where elected officials pander more than ever I feel like Michael walks a very nice line between recognizing and appreciating the singularity the beauty of the different groups, the communities that are in Boston. But at the same time, he makes himself available to everybody and he's there for everybody. What we've allowed to happen, and I'm going to speak more generally now, so it's not just talking about this Boston City Council or even the city of Boston or even to a considerable extent, the, the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. I think what we have in politics, in American politics, more often than not, we, we allow activists to be public servants. And it's not that I don't think that activists can hold public office. And it's that and it's not that I don't think that they can be public servants because there have been locally, statewide, nationally, internationally, there have been activists who have brought about 
great, welcome, necessary, vital, critical change. And we've all benefited from it. But the problem with being an activist and stepping from that role into holding public office, because there are many ways to be a public servant, right? Um, But when I talk about public servant, I mean, in this context, someone who holds public office. You can't be singular in focus in terms of what you want to accomplish, what you're looking to do, what you stand for, and also the constituency whom you represent. You know, talking about Julia Mejia, I want to say what I've said privately. I want to make, I want to make it publicly known. I will always have a soft spot for Julia Mejia, Julia. I will always have a soft spot for Julia, and I will always wish her well. I've told her that. I've told others that privately. So I'm one of those people that what I say privately, I'm going to stand by it publicly. But Julia, Julia, she also knows that I'm very much opposed to the actions that she's taken that I see as detrimental to our law enforcement, to our police officers. I would even argue all our first responders. And there are other issues that she's undertaken with which I have not been able to align myself in any way. Uh, There have been some instances of common ground, but then we will disagree as to the best way to get there. But I will always have a soft spot for Julia Mejia, always, and I want that to be known. I don't think that just because you disagree with someone, someone else falls elsewhere on the political spectrum, that that has to be your enemy, that that has to be someone that you, uh, to use a phrase that I used earlier, close yourself off from. I don't believe in that. But I do wish that Julia, and it's not just Julia, there are other elected officials, and some of them are on the Boston City Council too. I wish that there was more opportunity, opportunities that I see, that I could see, in which Julia, and again, other elected officials, they interface with a wider variety of people. And often, and here I go belaboring one of my, uh, one of my uh, points. I do, if you listen to me, I do have some common themes, right? Um, you know, when we think diversity, the political left and the political right has consumed, has imbibed uh, the, this, this idea, this, this, this concept as such. When people think about diversity, they think about it in terms of race, ethnicity, maybe religion, and increasingly gender. Um, And I have to make a a detour here. Um, I'm going to, here's my parentheses, 
And I, I can certainly, and I will certainly talk about this more later. Gender, societal norms, th- those are constructs. I get that. I get that throughout history, even now, there are some women, myself included, that haven't always been able to easily adhere to society's expectations of what they should be. So those who know me know that I'm very outspoken. It's not some shtick. It's it's who I am. I am outspoken. And even in the 21st century, right here in Massachusetts, I'm going to tell you that that doesn't always go over so well with a wider group of people than you would think. And it's not because Massachusetts is primitive and, and, and it's filled with knuckle, you know, knuckle draggers and mouth breathers. It's, it's not, I'm, that's not what I'm saying. I'm, I'm proud of, of the many different important fights at which Massachusetts has been on the forefront, and Boston in particular. Uh, you know, this part of the state uh, with Boston leading the way, I mean, wonderful, important victories have been won. But it's just to say that we've done a lot, we've come a long way, and it would be ridiculous, absolutely ridiculous and absurd to try to declare it otherwise. Notwithstanding that, it's not utopia. And not that that exists. But again, it's just we can make progress. We can continue to move forward. And I think that's what we need to do. But certainly, I mean, even growing up, I was outspoken, even as a child, that it's just who I am. It's it's baked, being forthright, being handed, it's baked into my DNA. And so that... You know, and I'm I'm in my early 50s, so I, I can tell people that, you know, certainly when I was growing up, being outspoken wasn't the thing to be. And if you wanted to be considered tra- attractive, not only did you have to look a certain way, I mean, we've gotten more liberal, if you will, um, in terms of what a person has to look like in order to be considered attractive, but in terms of how a woman, a female girl is supposed to behave, we have <laughs> we've we've made less progress on that front. We've made less progress on that front. So I get not always being able to adhere easily to to what others expect. Of, of who we are and, and how we should conduct ourselves, how we should present ourselves. But it's not because we don't necessarily always fit in, or maybe sometimes we don't fit in at all. That doesn't mean that we're a different sex. And that doesn't mean that science that has been demonstrated and proven to be irrefutable, it doesn't mean that we can just, you know, discard it in the trash. And, and interestingly, you have people who 
<laughs> were screeching about science the whole time during COVID. The science says, the science says, I'm sorry, what's your background? Philosophy? Oh, very well then. And 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 <laughs> don't tweet at me about philosophy because I have great respect for that field and, and for philosophers and for those who, who teach philosophy uh, are those who just, you know, study it on their own. Uh, but my, my point is just simply that you had a, a whole group of very loud people who were wagging their fingers at us very sanctimoniously about the science and how we had to respect the science. We had to wear masks and we had to do this and we had to do that. And, you know, since, of course, we learned that there were other paths, different paths to staying healthy, although some obviously were preferred, uh, and especially depending on where you were, um, there were, in fact, different paths, and there, there always were different paths to remaining healthy um, and respecting other people and, and, and doing what you can to keep them healthy. Um, but but the, the, the point is, is that, you know, for all those lovers of science, contextually speaking, um, here's science that it, it doesn't matter where we are, what we're doing, at what time we do it. When, you, when we're talking about the sexes, there are two. And people don't have to adhere. They can cut their own path. But when it comes to biology, there are two genders and uh, two sexes. And, and I, you know, I'm actually going to extend that to genders, too, because I just, it's just, it's just, it's too much of a slippery slope. So genders, it's, I see it as more of a construct, societal norms. But sex, that's very much rooted in biology, and the genders correspond to the sexes, right? Um, and it's just, I mean, this could be a whole show, <laughs> but, uh, or, or a whole 15, 20, 100, 200, 500 shows, um, but, but there are just two genders, um, but let me get back. Let me just hit the rewind tape um, because that was a longer digression than I would have liked. But let's let's hit the rewind um, button and, and go back to um, diversity, right? That's because that's where we started off, and that was the jumping off point. And I need to see diversity politically. And not just because I'm a Republican. It's just, my goodness gracious, I don't want to live in an echo chamber. <laughs> that's, that's, I don't find that to be something that's enjoyable. Um, and intellectual. We have to appreciate and support, respect different intellectual currents of thought. And I, I think that we, quite frankly, need a better city council. Or I could even say... Uh, city council, because I don't really feel that that's what we really have right now, right? So we need a proper city council that's going to model dignity. It's going to model decorum. That's going to respect differences and not 
just ones that are relative to race and ethnicity. We need people who are knowledgeable. Um, I said the reason why I, I have support, I support and have supported Michael Flaherty for so long is because at no point in his career, and his career is so long and distinguished, and he's so very accomplished, at no point in his career has he stood up and presented himself for a position that he's not qualified to do. He has always understood the purview of the office that he seeks, the job that he wants, and he has always known intimately the communities that he wants to represent. And so talking about the city council, increasingly it has become a litmus test uh, as to how tolerant and open-minded Boston is, because if we don't have so many women, if we don't have so many people of color, well, then we're just not very open-minded, are we? And I believe in being open-minded, but not to the point where my brains fall out. And right now, we have a city council that has been touted as the most diverse in history, in the history of the council, And quite frankly, it's the worst. And so what I'm saying is, is sure, we want to encourage a broader representation, but it can't be at the expense of experience, knowledge. We have too many people who are holding public office and they're learning the job. They're learning on the job. And that doesn't sit well with me. And, I, and I've been very, very clear about that point. That really disturbs me. I understand that there are some jobs where there's more of a learning curve than others. I get that. And then there's some jobs where, you know, learning on the job, that's part of it. It could be an apprenticeship or it could be a job. I mean, you're no longer considered like an apprentice or you're not an intern, um, but it's it's entry level. That's why they have the term entry level, right? And they talk about mid-level and they talk about senior level. But this is my argument and this is my point. If you are a member of the Boston City Council, that's not an entry level position. And it has been seen increasingly as a stepping stone. And I don't like that. I very strongly resent that. If you run for the city council, I don't mind if someone has their eye on another office at some point down the line. But for however long you are on the council, and certainly when you stand up to run for the council, you should want to be there. And that should be made very clear. It, in fact, it will be made clear in what you say and what you do. So, you know, I, I actually, this is a positive thing I can say about Julia, Julia. Um, you know, I think that Julia does want to be on the council. I really do. Now, perhaps Julia has her eye on another office at some point in time. It could be in two years, it could be in four, it could be in six. I don't know. But I think that 
her time on the council, I think Julia is actually trying to use it to do something. Now, you might not agree with it, and, and I already said that. I, very, I have very much agreed with a considerable amount of it. But I respect, I appreciate that Julia is on the council because I believe that she wants to be there. All right, so hear me well. I don't mind someone who maybe wants to run for mayor one day. I don't mind someone who might want to... Um, you know, be, I don't know, register of probate, someone who might um, want to, you know, go work in the courts later on, um, you know, yeah, so register register of, of probate or someone who wants to, you know, I'm, I'm just, you know, maybe wants to, you know, run for governor's council or, or someone who might want to run for state senator or state rep. Someone might want to run for Congress. Someone might want to run for one of the four statewide constitutional offices. I, I don't, I, that doesn't bother me. What does bother me is when a person is in a position, and this is, been very true of the Boston City Council, and we the people have suffered greatly for it. The city of Boston has suffered greatly for it. Um, you know, people run for the city council, they get elected, and then they spend their whole time essentially campaigning for the office that they really want to hold. So the city council is just a stepping stone. I don't like that at all. I think it's very disrespectful, and I think that it's you know, it's very contemptuous. Like, what, what are you saying about the council? Because it's actually an incredibly important job. City councilors are the first, that's the first port of call. So for people to be treating it as a stepping stone, as a way to get their names out there, are you kidding me? The people of Boston don't deserve that lack of respect. And so then that gets me to someone like Erin Murphy. She has all these people like, oh, well, I can't wait for you to run for mayor. I mean, come on. It, it, they're not going to say it without Aaron, <laughs> you know, without Aaron, you know, kind of giving them a nudge or, you know. And, and I mean, could some of it be spontaneous? Absolutely. Absolutely. But it, it, it's it, it's so much of, oh, Aaron, you should run for mayor. So much of it. It just is comes across as so contrived and, and it's so coordinated that you're like, oh, come on. And she herself has done nothing to dampen suspicions or she's done nothing to dispel the idea that her real goal is to run for mayor. And... I, I got to say, I, I just, there's got to be someone in her circle, or maybe not, <laughs> apparently not, I, I, maybe, yeah, it's apparently not, that can sit her down and just say, look, it's a great honor to be on the city council. You should focus on the city council. I mean, she was lucky to get on the city council. She bested David Halbert, who, quite frankly, is a lot more intelligent, a lot more articulate, a lot more knowledgeable. And even though I am not always in sync with his politics, he would have been a lot better because he would have been available to a much wider group of people than Aaron Murphy. Um, she only bested him by 200 votes. 
I mean, yet she behaves as if she topped the ticket. A little humility would be in order. But also, I, I just think that as a freshman counselor, I, I think it's awfully arrogant to just be like, boom, I'm running for mayor, you know, or or even, you know, allow people to, to think that. And I think it's very disrespectful. Um, again, as I said, you know, to to voters, if you're going to be on, I, if Aaron wants to, in fact, run for mayor, if that's if that truly is the case, and and I mean, she's like I said, she's done nothing to counter what people are saying. She she deliberately lets you know the the noise, the voices, you know, ch- the chatter continue. I have no problem with that. What I have a problem with is her using her position on the city council to do it. That's not that's not what she should be doing. And quite frankly, she didn't even have the job of city councilor down, but she's looking at running the city. Really? Seriously? Uh-uh. No. <laughs> I mean, my goodness, one thing at a time. Then you have Kendra Lara. And I, I, I think that for me, Kendra Lara and Erin Murphy, I think they have a fair amount in common. That's not to say that they, you know, they're buddies and they get along, but um, or that they work well together all the time. Um, and, and I'm not trying to imply that, oh, well, they don't get along. I'm just trying to say that often they're not on the same side of the issue. Um and I could say more about that. I, I don't think it's down to actual conviction. Um, I think it's just, I, I do think that La- Laura believes what she says. Aaron, not so much, but um, but whatever. I mean, the way they actually, you know, ultimately vote, you know, they're often not on the same side. Um, but I'm not going to speculate how they interact with each other personally. I'm, I'm just, that I won't do. Um, But I do see a lot of similarities in the way they interact with people um, and the way they promote themselves and push their agendas. Um, You know, Lara, one difference is that Lara is focused on certain communities. And I think, again, this speaks to a point that I raised. Um, She comes from a background in activism. It's perfectly fine to be an activist and then hold public office, but you then have to understand that the hat that you wear has to come off. The hat that you've worn has to come off and it has to be replaced with another one that will allow you to move in a different way. You can't move in the same way. You can't, as an activist, act the same way as a public office holder. The District 6 section of Boston, which is what Kendra Lara represents, is actually very diverse. It really, really, truly is. In fact, I can't think of any district within Boston that's just homogenous, homogenous, homogenous. And even if that were the case, I mean, still, you're going to have different ideas. So there's always going to be some kind of diversity. And, you know, of course, as I continue to say, as I've said throughout this show, that has to be acknowledged. But 
you know, Lara, she focuses on certain issues. She focuses on certain demographics. And it's like, this ain't the job for you. This, it's just, it's not. You You have to... I understand if people have certain things that are close to their heart, but you you represent the people. You're working for the people, and you can't push your agenda and then wrap that up and say, well, I'm doing the work of the people. No, you're doing the work of Kendra Lara and Kendra Lara's hair, handlers. And so that's why, you know, you want to be an activist, you go be an activist. Go for it. Have at it. I'm not going to stop you. But don't cash checks for being a Boston City Councilor. I, I, you know, it's Boston, <laughs> uh, you know, my family, oh, um, we're old school. We're very old school. And I think that my family is just blunt, candid anyway. So all that together, it's like on top of, on top of, on top of. And so then you have me, and I'm just very straightforward. But I just, again, you want to be an activist, you go be an activist. But don't cash checks for being a Boston City Councilor. Erin Murphy wants to be a social media influencer. That, that's, you know, go for it. <laughs> I mean, I would say to both women, the world is your oyster. <laughs> go for it. But stop cashing checks for being Boston City Councilors because we have so many problems and we have so many challenges that we have to meet. We have to be able to rise to the moment that we just we don't have time for anyone who doesn't understand that, who doesn't get that, who can't wrap, you know, people who can't wrap their heads around that. Uh, <laughs> on that note, I'm going to go to a quick break, but when I come back, I'm going to talk about a few issues that I think that we just, we really need to discuss. Um, we need to really have some meaningful discussions on these issues. Um, but let me, let me go to that break. And when we come back, that's what we'll do. We'll just we'll talk about things like from road diets to uh, the exam schools, one of them in particular, and we're going to talk about safety. If you are struggling to afford internet service for your household, there is a new government program that may be able to help. It's called the Affordable Connectivity Program, and it provides up to a $30 monthly discount to qualifying households. Find more information about the program, including if you qualify and how to enroll at FCC.gov ACP or call toll-free at 877-384-2575. That's 877-384-2575. It's time for today's STEM tip. Okay, you know recycling is important. No one wants plastic in the ocean. Here's a cool way to repurpose a plastic bottle. Build an awesome terrarium. Cut a large plastic bottle in half and fill the base with sand, pebbles, potting soil, and your favorite plant. I chose an African violet. Put the top of the bottle over your base and place it in the sun. Your plant will grow sealed in its own ecosystem. Fun, right? Learn more at SheCanSTEM. 
A message from the Ad Council. Estos son los sonidos de una cena. Una cena que casi no sucedió. Es una cena servida gracias a personas como tú. Debido a la crisis actual, 50 millones de personas pueden vivir con hambre este año. Feeding America está ayudando a los que más lo necesitan. Y si quieres, tú puedes ayudar también. Visita feedingamerica.org diagonal en guión español. Patrocinado por el Ad Council y Feeding America, la fuerza de 200 bancos de alimentos. You hear that? This is my Boston accent. This is my Boston accent. Yeah, it is. This is our Boston accent. Hear it for yourself, discover your own. This is Boston, and we are all inclusive. Hello, and welcome back to Bostonian Rap. You have been listening to me, Rachel Meiselman, uh, and you've been doing it on WBCA LB 102.9 FM Boston. This is Boston's community radio station. And I couldn't resist but play that last PSA, which focused on Boston accents. And we are, you know, we we are diverse and we are inclusive. No, you are not. <laughs> no, you are not. Because it always comes down to, as I said, race and ethnicity. And we really, I mean, you know, if you're a Republican, it is hard to move. It's hard to get around. <laughs> it's hard to get around. And I'm not talking about in terms of public transportation. Uh, of course, we could talk about that. And that would be a whole, um, that'd be a whole other kettle of fish. Uh, so it's, it's, it's a situation where diversity is not welcome. It's not, it's not an inclusive city. Um, and, and depending on how you believe, you're, you're sidelined. Depending on what you say, you're shouted down. There are attempts to silence you. So I, you know, increasingly, it's not that I ignore the, per, uh, the importance, the significance of diversity in terms of race and ethnicity, particularly in some contexts. But when we don't even respect how everyone thinks and when we assign people roles i mean it's so it's isn't it amazing all the contradictions that that exist and most of them are coming well i shouldn't say that most of them are coming from the left because we have plenty coming from the right too but we have a number of contradictions coming from the left we're supposed to value the the diversity of gender and it's like again there are only two um but we don't we can't seem to value the plurality of thought. We cannot seem to respect how different people believe, you know, what they embrace, what they hold dear. And and I have a problem with that. And, and as I said, started to say, uh, there's an assignment um, of beliefs to someone based on what he or she looks like. There's this expectation and, you know, for all the talk about being progressive, well, progressives are actually in many ways regressive. And I just, it's it's got to change because, you know, our city has suffered greatly for it. 
our quality of life has plummeted. And so to that end, let's let's get into the different issues. So we have the issue of road diets. Um, I said this last week, uh, I'm going to say uh, maybe a couple shows ago, but I've said it actually, you know, on, on a few occasions, Boston is not a bicycle city. Let me say that again. Boston is not a bicycle city. We are a walking city. Now, there's certainly opportunities for people to ride their bicycle. I fully support the idea of riding bicycles for enjoyment. Obviously, you know, there's the the health uh, aspect. You know, it's a great way to get into shape. And depending on where you're going where you may be working, where you may be living, it is, it might be feasible. It might be. Um, that's a that's a better word to use than is. It might be feasible to use your bicycle to move from point A to point B. But the way our city is is laid out, the way it's been built, it's not practical. It's not practical. And just to show, just to kind of point out just how clueless people are, a few years ago they talked about bicycle lanes. Now they're talking about protected bicycle lanes. Okay, as someone who spent an extended period of time in Europe, I've... I mean, I love the Netherlands. I've always, I, you know, I say that. <laughs> I always say that. My first trip to the Netherlands was in the late, I believe it was, yeah, it was in the late 90s. have to go back and think there. Um, it, you know, certainly that's very much a bicycle culture. But, you know, the cities, the towns, they're built differently. They're laid out differently. They're mapped out differently. So it's feasible. Um, and there's also a culture of respect when it comes to bicycles, Right. And pedestrians, you know, people who drive cars, you know, it's how they all interact. It's peaceful. It's peaceable. Um, But here, no. And a lot of times you have cyclists, certainly not all. um, They're not always very respectful. And, And as a pedestrian, because I don't drive and I've said that, uh, it's not always safe because... I'm on the sidewalk, and now I have to compete with the cyclists. And they're on the sidewalks. You know why a lot of them are on the sidewalks? Because it's not safe. Because Boston's not a bicycle city. And I don't know how many times that needs to be said. Ay, yay, yay. And, and see, this is, and this is when I start to lose it. Because people don't listen. People don't want to listen. And it's not that I have all the answers. I might have one or two. But... It, it, the point is, is just listen to what I have to say and listen to what other people have to say. And, you know, I'm not going to put his name out there, but I'm going to describe a young man. And he strikes me as very, you know, open, moderate. But lately he's been saying things that most people would attribute to someone who's very conservative. And, 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 he, you know, they're attributing to him what would be considered 
the negative aspects of conservatism, you know, someone who is not welcoming, someone who doesn't want to think forward, someone who doesn't have vision. And let me just say that this person is actually a nice person. This person is just tired of having his hometown of West Roxbury maligned. He's tired of he himself being maligned because he happens to be a white male. Uh, It's... (laughs) People have the right to express themselves. People have the right to be heard. And on this issue, this young man is actually correct. West Roxbury, stop ripping up the roads, Michelle, please. I mean, throughout the city, she's ripping up the roads. And it's just you putting up those stupid little white thingies. And I <laughs> stop, right? Because you can't have, I mean... You can't have a bike lane unless it's protected, right? You can't. I mean, you can't ask people to ride their bicycles with the traffic. You can't do that. Like, how many times does that have to be said? Like, ugh. You have to have these lanes that are set aside for bicycle riders. And that line, there has to be some kind of buffer so that cyclists will be safe, right? But not all the streets, the roads in Boston are conducive to that kind of design. And, you know, as it is, we already have like bus lanes. And and so what are we going to do? The roads are only so wide. So we want bus lanes, we want bike lanes, and we want cars. Um, Maybe cars, not so much. I mean, people need to use a little bit of common sense. And we have a lot of one ways. I mean, how is this all supposed to work? Again, it comes back to how the city of Boston is, is mapped out. And you have to work there. So I'm not saying that Michelle cannot encourage people to ride their bicycles. I'm just saying that for a lot of the city, it's quite frankly, not necessarily very practical. And If Michelle isn't going to try to do something about the traffic and she herself, I don't know how much she can do. I think this is something that she would need to work with people on Beacon Hill because there has to be something done about the traffic, right? So she might be able to do something, but I think like, I mean, in my opinion, a lot of the issue stems from Uber and Lyft. And so you have Uber and Lyft that can pick up and drop off wherever they want. So we have people coming here from other parts of the state, sometimes other states, and they're just they're picking people up and dropping them off. That differs greatly with taxis because taxis can pay, you know, so if you have a, let me let me explain this. If you have a licensed Boston taxi, Of course, they can pick up in Boston. It's just that they can't pick up anywhere else. Right. So and it's and it's it's actually pretty strictly enforced. So Uber and Lyft, they're adding greatly to the traffic. But to regulate Uber and Lyft, that's something that Michelle would have to work with uh, that that would require working with people on Beacon Hill, uh, the legislature. Um, You know, perhaps there are other things that she can do to address traffic, but Again, it's you want to encourage bicycles when we don't have, we're not a city for that because of what I just, you know, said, you know, the way where we've been designed. But then we also have one of the worst 
uh, issues of traffic in the country. So, I, I mean, why would you want people to then get on a bicycle? Like, so I guess Michelle's uh, argument would be her pushback would be, well, if we got more people on bikes and less people in cars, and it's like, but. <laughs> It's. I'm sorry. It's just not commonsensical because you're not going to get more people on bikes uh, than in cars, and you're not going to get people to give up their cars, and they shouldn't have to. If people want to ri- drive a car, they've got every right to. And and even if you got rid of all the cars, like let's say Michelle could do that, she still would have to contend with the way the city is is laid out. What are you going to rip the whole city up and redesign it for bikes? Come on. All right, so that's one issue. And so we need a city council that can articulate that. And we, can, and we need a, um, a city council whose members, even if they, they are, I'm, I'm going to say pro-bike, that they at least understand the challenges and the limitations of this particular geographical space. Uh, I want to talk about the O'Brien School, one of the exam schools. The exam schools have taken such a beating um, from the political left in terms of, you know, basically, and this is what it translates to at the end of the day, pressure to lower the standards and to really kind of do away with the concept of exam schools. Now, Michelle wants to move, Michelle, when I say Michelle, uh, Madam Mayor, she wants to uproot the O'Brien and move it to West Roxbury. That's a super bad idea. Um, but what's also equally bad is the argument from people like Erin Murphy and some others saying that this would uh, affect Roxbury and Dorchester kids. And of course, because Aaron and all these people are on the political left, you know, sooner or later, it's always got to come back to color. So the idea is that it's going to disproportionately affect black and brown students. And it might affect, disproportionately affect, you know, if such a move were to take place, it might disproportionately affect black and brown students based on the student population. Um, but it would be bad for everybody because the O'Brien, it's good where it is because it's a geographically speaking, it's easy to get to for a lot of people, um, for a lot of parts of the city. If you move it to West Roxbury, and particularly the part of West Roxbury that Michelle is proposing, uh, it would be a lot more difficult for a lot more students to get there. So again, it just <laughs> we need to act. This is a takeaway. <laughs> we need to act with common sense. We need to have a city council that understands that, that understands nuance, that's willing to listen to opposing arguments. And we need a city council that if they are going to oppose something, that they're able to offer an argument that makes sense. Because just to say, well, it's not fair to the Roxbury and Dorchester kids if we move the O'Brien. Please give me an argument that's better than that. Okay, so I don't know how many times I have to say it, but Boston's in really tough shape. We need a city council that understands that every last single member, we need people who are intelligent, people who are accomplished, people who are articulate, and people who know their constituencies and understand the the purpose, the raison d'etre of their jobs. 
And on that note, (laughs) I'm going to sign off. Uh, Thank you so much for listening. And as always, uh, take care of yourselves. And I look forward to hanging out with you next week. The preceding commentary does not necessarily reflect the views of the staff and management of WBCA or the Boston Neighborhood Network. If you would like to express another opinion, you can address your comments to the Boston Neighborhood Network at 3025 Washington Street, Boston, Mass., 02119. Attention WBCA LP 102.9 FM. If you would like to arrange a time for your own commentary, you can call WBCA at 617-708-3241 or email us at radio at bnntv.org.